0: They thought that I was gonna run away. He was like, and don't even think about running away because you have nowhere to go. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll keep that in mind. He was like, we're in the middle of nowhere. And I'm
1: like, They gave me a tour, walking around. And I just, he takes me and he's telling me, we walk into the room away from everybody. And he was like, you need to get the fuck out of here. He's like, this place is a fucking cult, dude. I'm over here like, what are you talking about? Court ordered, I can't leave. And he was like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to survive.
0: From the campus of Freedom Village, USA, an international ministry dedicated to reaching the teenagers of the United States and Canada.
2: Welcome to Victory Today.
3: My name is Margaret, and this is We Warn Them Freedom Village, an investigative mini-series unpacking what happened at Freedom Village USA through interviews from people who experienced it themselves. We will mention different forms of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse throughout this series, so please take care of yourself as you feel necessary. I'm going to tell you a story about abusive trust, faith, and power. I never expected to be in this position. I'm not an investigative journalist by trade, but over the past two years, I've interviewed close to 30 people that have become entangled in the world of Freedom Village. So how did this all start? Well, in the summer of 2020, while I was hanging out at a community garden in Brooklyn, New York, I heard a boy telling a story. He was hyperactive with bleached hair and bright eyes. He was one of those people that naturally just attracted a crowd. I jokingly called him Boy Wonder, and the nickname stuck. Anyways, one day while we were hanging out, he asked me where I was from. I said, Rochester, New York. He stopped and said,
1: Right now, ready? Ready? I'm going to blow your fucking mind.
3: I was a bit hesitant but he went on to tell me that he had spent some time for the past year and a half in a rural area about 40 minutes away from Rochester on a remote part of Seneca Lake. He made it sound like a sort of prison sentence, but I knew that he was too young to have gone to an adult prison upstate. I asked him if it was some sort of school and he laughed. Once he started describing some of the circumstances of everyday life there, I had this gut feeling that whatever he was about to say was going to be important. I asked him if I could record our conversation on my phone, and he agreed. I apologize in advance for the poor sound quality.
1: Any morning mornings, it was 8 a.m. wake up. It was a weekend. We had to haul wood for three hours in the morning from five to fatten. We would have breakfast. And more after breakfast, we go right back to Holland.
3: What were you guys hauling wood for?
1: Okay, so, there was something. There was something called- Okay, there was levels. There was no level. No level was- you literally- it was like solitary. You had no rights, they told you what to do, and if you didn't listen, you got one no level. It wasn't shit to them. This is literally illegal. you are literally making me haul 50 pound pieces of log. For six hours on a Saturday during the day in a circle in 95 to 100 degree weather, literally to be you you can't sit here and tell me that a regular person would allow a young adolescent teenager to possibly hurt themselves hauling big ass pieces of wood for six hours in the sun, like. We, wouldn't, we weren't allowed to get water. We weren't allowed to use the bathroom. And when we were, they told us to go behind. The, like, the, like, they treated us like we were animals. Like, we were told to go behind the dump and just take a piss. Like, we were treated like... It got to a point where when you eventually did get off no level, it was like, I, I felt like I was a leashed pit bull.
3: I left my first interview with wonder shocked and curious. I wanted to find out if there was any information floating around the internet and found an avalanche of bad press from former students. The Yelp page included reviews such as Fletcher made many promises he he did not keep. We were forced to eat expired moldy food. Even if we were to make eye contact with the opposite sex, we got punished. If we were to speak to the opposite sex, the punishment would be worse. It is my belief and understanding that Fletcher Brothers duped my parents into leaving me in his care. In addition to hauling wood for hours, I had to shovel horseshit. However, it was better than masturbating dogs for breeding, which was my roommate's job. Honestly, I didn't know what to believe. When it came to accredited articles, I could only find a couple which was shocking considering the Yelp reviews I had just read. The most pressing was one from the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle about a lawsuit alleging a girl was sexually abused there at 10 years old. Other than that, I did find some out-of-date advertisements from Freedom Village itself. It was approved by state officials as a boarding school, but it was registered as a church under the name of Gates Community Chapel. The owner, Fletcher Brothers, was the head and seemingly only pastor involved, but we'll look more closely at that in episode 3. A few weeks later, I went upstate to go visit my family and my partner Maggie. She also happens to be a clinical therapist and she'll be lending her perspective and voice to this project going forward. When I arrived to meet Maggie, she couldn't wait to tell me what had just happened to her. She had been sitting in a coffee shop when she overheard a
4: conversation that caught her attention. I was in Buffalo, like, a little while after we had first heard about this place. He, there was, oh yeah, there was like this artist in the coffee shop was asking everybody for like an interview. And he was asking about like, can you describe something that had a big impact on your life? Like an event, a big experience you went through. And this guy started talking and I kind of was like tuning out and then I heard him say something about a horse barn and this like place in upstate New York and a crazy pastor. And I was like, oh my God. And I like leaned over and I was like, wait, 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 dude, are you talking about Freedom Village? And he was like, oh my God, yeah, you know about it. Max got his number and asked
3: if I could interview him more formally. He agreed to meet us by the river where we could record our conversation in his van. But this is not a typical off-white van you would ignore or maybe be wary of because it is a hand-painted replica of the Mystery Machine from Scooby-Doo. The entire interior was covered in red velvet and littered with little trinkets that gives Fox his own unique style. Honestly, it was a pretty dope setup. I asked him how his family first heard about Freedom Village.
5: I was looking at like a between like one and three years in prison. And my, it wasn't like really my pastor, but it was like where my dad went to church. Like he kind of intervened or like he had the information that was like about the place. It was kind of like, they were like talking with the lawyer, or the judge or whatever, and like made the suggestion. So the judge was like, okay. So you
3: were in jail at the time.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. You had been in there for like a couple months or something. Yes. Okay. Yep. But then your dad found out
5: about this other option you could do. Yes.
3: Through who?
5: Through my, his pastor at the time. We were, like, we went to church there when we were younger. What church was this? Uh, this is Midtown Bible Church. Okay.
3: Uh, it's a Christian church? Or? Yes.
5: Okay. And not, like, it's not denominational so it's not like Baptist. It's just, you know, Bible and, you know, faith. And, uh, my... He came in and visited me in jail, the pastor. And yeah, he's like trying to get me, he's like telling me about God and stuff. And like, I wasn't like, I wasn't, that wasn't my lane, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, okay, that's cool. He makes sense, but I really don't believe that. And um, anyway, so yeah, like the opportunity presented itself, I took the opportunity because it was like, okay, like you're looking at, at like one, three years of prison, or you could do this and spend a year at this camp whatever this facility and you can't leave the property or anything like that but once you're done with the year then like you just be on probation and that's that
3: honestly after my first interview with boy wonder i went into this conversation with a serious bias i mean it seemed to me that this alternative to prison was simply another kind of prison in itself but it wasn't until 10 minutes into this interview that Fox said something that would make me sit back and take my new role as a journalist a bit more cautiously.
5: But eventually I was in like service one day and I just was like, I was like, God, I was like, God, if you're real, show me. And then like the room just started to like glow. And it was like weird. I was like, this is trippy. And then I was like, kind of just like, okay, that's weird. Shake it off. And then uh, I did it again, like, you know, and then I asked like another time during service, I was like, God, if you're real, show me. And then once again, like the room just started to glow. It's like, everything was like light and bright and white almost. And I was like, wow. And then it was like, I did that like three or four more times. And then I was like, okay, there's something to this. And I was just like, I even in the service. I think I was just like, later on that day, like I went back to my room. I was just like, God, um if you're real come into my life and then ever since then, like i we've been rocking like god's been in my life and you know i've been going you know what people call saved and you know a christian uh by title um yeah. um to me it was like why would you limit yourself you know like before like it was like why would you limit yourself based on these rules but the difference is that it's actually freeing. It's like freeing you. Having faith by asking Christ into you, by asking Christ into your life.
3: So you feel like you like grasp faith well there?
5: Faith in Christ. Faith in the most high. Faith in God.
3: Fox's interview challenged my initial narrative of Freedom Village. Maybe it wasn't a prison or a cult. Maybe it really was a place where kids could go and find God and some just never took the opportunity. But I still couldn't shake the idea of the conditions that Boy Wonder had described. I asked Fox more about the daily life there
5: have a clean room do your chores which is like either like you know you have certain like responsibilities as well like you might be in the kitchen like do kitchen prep or uh you know monitor like six to ten which is like the punishment form thing uh where like people walk in circles with wood so you might have to like monitor those people or
3: so, yeah this what punishment circle
5: yeah so there's like a a thing where it's like you know if like you break through rules like you have to like carry like logs in a circle.
3: Just logs in a circle.
5: Yeah.
3: <laughs> How heavy are the logs?
5: They can be. They can be heavy. But and, there's different sizes. They also have different sizes.
3: And this is like what size? Is this like a track? Like I'm. This, what's this circle? It's a, it's a parking lot. Oh. oh. a parking lot. And you just literally have to carry it mm-hmm. back and forth.
5: And for like four hours.
3: Four hours.
5: hmm
3: Interesting. And would guys have to do this a lot?
5: Did you have to, have to Guys do and girls, yeah.
3: Guys and girls. Yeah, were they... but they
5: were different. They're separated. So So
3: you never, you, did you see the girls Yes, there? we saw
5: the girls. But I kind of got out of it. How? A little bit because, like, I have a chronic illness. And so it was like I was, like, sometimes, like, I just be like, yo, I can't do this. Like, that's not, that's not can do. This. And it wasn't, and, like, and for it me personally. chronic like, illness? Yeah. Like, card. Yeah. Nice I pulled it but that. But I mean, would be a honestly like to. for like 4 hours like, no, I'm like, bro, this is not good for me. I'm
3: and kids good. would have to do this a lot. Like that's what my friends were talking about doing.
5: Well, it depends. Like like I said, like if you're not doing dumb shit like because there is this is a kid for like this is a place for like rebels. This is a place for like the rule of, like people like me, you know what I'm saying? Like fuck shit up, you know what I'm saying? Like and you're young, you know what I'm saying? So you really don't no, you really don't give a fuck. Like, and you're, you're just young too, so you're dumb as well. You know, you know.
2: I mean, yeah,
3: to a certain extent. Yeah. It's you're all... also just like figuring shit out, and sometimes people have hard circumstances. Yeah. That they gotta, that I got to deal with,
5: you know. Yeah. And that's a lot. That's all of it. That's was all of us. Like we all had fucking tri- a lot of traumatic shit happen to us.
3: Was this at all traumatic?
5: No, not for me. That's why I'm here, where I am. Right. I would not be the person that I am today had not been for that place.
3: Fox expanded my idea of the kind of influence this place had, both good and bad. I wanted to meet more people who had been sent to the village to really understand the lasting effects. So I did what all good investigators do, and I went to Facebook. I met a woman from Brooklyn who had been in the program for three and a half years. When I went back to the city, she was kind enough to welcome me into her home. How did you hear about Freedom Village? Or how did your family hear about Freedom Village?
2: Okay, so I grew up in the Brooklyn Tabernacle. One of the members of the church, a solid member there, she had five sons. Two of them were at Freedom Village. And over a period of time, three of them ended up being there. But one of them who was there, he graduated from the program, he went on staff and everything. And how old were you at the time? I was 14 years old. 14? Yeah. Okay. Why were you be? I guess, why were you being
3: sent away, or did they...? Um,
2: typical, you know, yeah. teenage stuff, cutting from school, hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, yeah. My, my father got scared that I was going to get pregnant. He changed me from, like, three different high schools.
3: Here in Brooklyn? Yeah.
2: One after the other. And finally, he was like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> when he read my diary one day, he was like, "Oh, she had sex." <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul was setting away; she's adding it. No, she can't off. look at boys. Exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they ended up
3: sending me there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, did what? Did they ask you, or what? Like, was it your choice at all, or did no. you have to say in the matter? Okay. No. no. How, do you remember? Did
2: they tell you before? Yes. Yes. Okay.
3: Did they give you some time, or?
2: Not really. They're like, well, this is what's going to happen. And I was devastated because um, I felt like, like rejected again. Mm. Because I came here from um, the Caribbean to live with my parents when I was five years old. Mm. And I had such a hard time adjusting to the new family. I never knew them before coming here. So I had a really hard time adjusting to the family, um, to a new country. You know, when I was six months old, my parents had left me with my grandparents. They couldn't take me because of immigration reasons and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know them, I didn't grow up with them. I didn't know them as my parents for five years. So it was like a like a major shock. And that adjustment just carried over into my preteens and whatever. And it just, you know, came out in different ways of me, um, you know, acting out in school and whatever. But not really, I was like a good student, you know? Yeah. I, I had um, skipped the seventh grade, Back then, I was in a special, specialized, um, you know, program, but somewhere along the road, I think because the communication was so bad between me and my mom, Mm -hmm. that, um, yeah, it was just bad. It was just, I was just having a really rough um, rough time, and for them to, you know, tell me that they're going to send me away again, send me away, I was like, Mm. it was like a double whammy, a rejection, and it took it really hard, but, you know. It, it it worked out well. I needed that. That's what I needed. I needed to be away, and it wasn't so much about that I was a bad kid. Sometimes parents just don't have the right parenting skills. There's no. There are manuals, yes, but it's one of those things that you gotta. You learn as you go. You know. Right. You right. build a ship as you go, kind of thing. Do you remember your first day at all? Oh yeah, do I you- remember the drive up there. Yeah. Do you want to describe like, it? Like it was yesterday, and I'm 50 years old now, and <laughs> I was like. I would remember it was like in winter. Actually, it was March, it was this week. March 15th, 1984. 1984,
3: 33 years before Boy Wonder first arrived.
2: Um, I remember the drive up there, it was cold and it was snowing and it was dark and um, I was really cold and I was just like shut down. For six months, the first six months when I was at the village, I'm like, I was so resistant. I remember one time we, I was um planning with a couple of the girls to run away and they heard, the staff heard about it. So they camped out in front of our door. So if we were going to sneak out in the middle of the night, you know, we weren't going to go anywhere. So uh, when I realized, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going anywhere. So I was just very resistant for the first six months because, mm. you know, I was dealing with a lot emotionally from... And I'm like, just don't want to be here. Mm. But I had no choice, and I think it was the love of the sap that really broke me. And finally, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done resisting, and I'm going to yield now. Yielded.
3: I think that's a powerful choice for a 14-year-old to have to make. I respected how my new friend took the time to explain where she was coming from specifically in regards to her parents not knowing what to do. It was similar in concept to the next interview I did with another woman I met on Facebook. Her name is Sherry, and she arrived at the village in 1999 at 15 years old. However, unlike the others, she is not from the city, but from the countryside of Binghamton, New York. I was in southern tier of New York. Uh, being to New York is over the
6: area, of Broome County, where I was raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I was in the country. Then I went to the city. Then I went back to the country, and then I went to Freedom Village. My mom didn't know anything. She didn't know what she didn't know. I mean, she didn't even understand depression. She didn't yeah, know well, what mental it was. health isn't
3: being talked about. Like. Right,
6: and and in her home and in her upbringing, being raised in a very small, tight like, country community in the middle of nowhere in western New York, um, you know, they were very isolated, my mom went through horrible abuse with her stepmom, lost her own mom when she was four, I mean, and it was just a disaster, so she didn't even know, like, she was taught to be afraid of mental illness, they were taught it's demon possession, you know, and so that's kind of, like, what she believed. But then she would see me as her daughter going through this, not understanding what it was, and
3: Seeing that it's real. And seeing that whatever it is is real, but she didn't know what to do with it. A little bit more about Sherry is that she's a certified nurse, and she really knows how to communicate her mental health journey. She describes her childhood in detail, noting the formative life events that shaped her upbringing including the regular verbal and physical abuse her father subjected her to, a sexual assault by a relative's boyfriend, and the tragic death of her best friend. She mentions her social anxiety growing up and the instability caused by constantly moving homes with her overworked mother. Later in life, she would be diagnosed with high-functioning autism. She started missing school when a relative fell ill, but this soon spiraled into something deeper what ended up happening is I
6: really did want to do the right thing. I didn't want to feel like this. But I literally at some points was catatonically depressed looking back on it. Like my mom I was in there but I my body would not cooperate with me. I just was flat mood. I barely talked. My mom like lifted me, hoisted me up, you know, like she would her patients and I was just dead weight. I, I had no control because it was like that psychosomatic response where my body just shut down, and and then I'd be in this state for two to three weeks, and then like something something would really set me off, and I'd just go into a fit of rage. I mean, just tearing the house apart because I need. I, it was like I had so much emotion that I couldn't even bottle it up anymore, and it would just volcanic. Mm. I mean, it just massive and. Um, and it was just a lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, um, you know, kicking things, you know, putting holes in the wall, that kind of stuff, you know. Primal. But, right, very primal, because that's exactly where I was at. It was in my animal brain, because as i learned through therapy, when you're in fight or flight like that, the prefrontal cortex of your brain biologically shuts off to let your instincts take control, and that's where I was living at. By this time, though, um, about three-quarters of the way through my first time in ninth grade, um, the school started telling my mom, like, look, you have to get her to school or we're going to have to charge you with neglect. And she was like, I'm trying your best. I don't know what to do. I can't, like, be there to make sure she gets on the bus. She was having people call me, people stop by. I mean, just everything and it just wasn't working. And so they said, well, there is another option you can put her on person in a PINs petition, which is a person in need of supervision probation. It was for people, like, kids like that, that needed extra... Oh. But rather than it being uh This is where the system... This is where I get into the meat of how I ended up at Freedom Village. I go in ninth grade for that second time. The depression is just getting worse and worse and worse. And it was inevitable I was going to end up somewhere. There was no question about it. And I blame the you know, the Justice Department for failing me. The system failed me. They could have gotten me the help I needed then, and all of this would have been avoided, but they didn't. They treated me like I was a criminal, like I was a bad kid, and so now here I am, Thinking I was going to get some help, finally, and no, they're just, like, threatening me, like, if I don't get to school, they're going to escalate this process. And it just kept escalating and escalating. I mean, just rolling over into the different levels of probation because I wasn't going to school. Meanwhile, nobody along that line thought to stop and say, why isn't this girl going to school? What can we do to help her? Mm. They just kept punishment, 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 punishment and getting more severe to the point where they put me on what was called the ISP intensive supervision probation, which was the last step before they were talking about sending me to a group home. You know, I got put into this pipeline of courts and probation. I was not a bad kid. I was a very traumatized, hurting, sad, angry kid right. who had nobody to talk to. Um, and. Rather than when I got on probation, rather than the courts, like, looking at, okay, why is she dealing with this? What's going on?
3: They labeled me as a bad kid. I appreciate that Sherry talked about the larger system involved in this. It was a reminder to me that people coming from financially disadvantaged homes are ultimately more vulnerable and targeted by the state. And oftentimes, priming the parents is the first step. This is Sherry describing what happened when she first arrived to Freedom Village. They took my parents out of the room, put them in
6: another room across the hall uh, or across the lobby, and I was in this room with one of the girls from the program, and the video that they showed me was, you know, from the 80s. It was horrible horrible video quality to begin with, but... The content was what scared me. They were talking about drugs. And they showed this video, part of the video, and when I were going in on all about drugs and everything, and how, that well, this one kid, he got high and whatever. They said he got high. End. And then the next image is he threw himself in front of a Mack truck, and they his dad mangled body picture is right there on the screen. And I had never even, the concept of drugs, I mean, I knew about it from dare, but I didn't, I wasn't I mean, just that was traumatizing to me to see that. And then apparently what they did with my parents was they went over there and they showed them a separate video that basically said, don't believe anything your kid says. They're going to tell you anything they have to do to get out of this place. They're going to tell you that the rules are horrible, that the people are mean, that all these bad things are happening. It's all an attempt because your kids basically a troubled your bad kid child's troubled and you can't trust the words that they say because they'll do anything to get out of you know of this and so that's my mom my dad you know blindly accepted that because that was you know just the way they said it would work and I'm like okay well then they had this like checklist it was more like a consent form that had multiple it broke it down in different sections and you had to initial it and inside at the end and one of the main ones was that you agreed to a voluntary one year commitment to the program. And um, that voluntary commitment was a sham.
3: I wanted to find out if this was actually a voluntary commitment. I went back to the Freedom Village website and found the original intake form. Any guardian considering sending a kid there would have to fill out this packet of information before signing over legal guardianship. This included one page of medical history, previous placements, and consent to transfer records. However, it also asks for seemingly irrelevant information, such as if the child had been involved in any homosexual activity, or if they had listened to excessively loud rock or rap
7: music. Okay, our program for teenagers is a unique one. First, students are required to make a voluntary, one-year commitment to Freedom Village. That means that while many judges, probation officers, and counselors have suggested a student attend Freedom Village, no one can be mandated or court-ordered to enter the program. That decision must be made by a young person.
3: This is one of mine and Boy Wonder's friends who didn't go to the village himself, but was curious about its influence. His name is EJ and he started researching Freedom Village after one of his best friends from Queens was sent there in high school.
7: Everything that I've heard it was they weren't nothing was ever volunteer.
3: I also asked Maggie if she believes it was a voluntary
4: commitment. Well, technically, yeah. I mean, I think this is true based on what we know. Like the kids that we know that have gone there as an alternative to prison, like, the court didn't order them to go to Freedom Village. They gave them a choice of going to prison or going to Freedom Village. Mm. So technically, they voluntarily mm. went there. And then if you're below the age of 18 and your parent sends you there, I mean, that's your parent is sort of speaking for you in that sense.
3: But that's still
4: not consent. Well, legally it is. Like, in reality, it's not, of course.
3: When you're under the age of 18, it can be anything. Like your parents.
4: Yeah, your parents. Your legal guardian. Jeez. So technically, that is true, even though, like, in practice, it's obviously complete bullshit. Like, if you give someone a choice between prison and something else, and they choose the other thing, and then you say, like, oh, well,
7: it was their choice, but. Mm. EJ brings up another good point. Exactly, when you look at it, just even off RIP, look at, the web, look at the website. Giving hope for the youth of America and Canada, right? Giving a hope, right? Now, peep, if you're a child that just went into through this whole process of getting charged with some shit, and you're facing five years, five to ten years, and you're like, holy shit, what the fuck did I just do? If that's the first thing that's happening to you, you're not gonna know how to react to it. The amount of stress you're gonna be under is ridiculous. Oh, right. So then you look at this rehabilitation program that's gonna make you better. They're gonna give you five, three square meters a day. You know, it's more comforting, more soothing. You don't have There's the worry. There's horses. Exactly. There's, There's in a farmland. Look you at know. the picture. They got white picket fences. It looks like such a, a great place white you, you want to be fences. at. Literally So why would you choose prison over this? Of course you're not gonna go to prison. You're gonna go to this thing. You're gonna go there with the hope of actually you know learning about yourself and becoming a better person, right? Because I know for a fact. And that's the thing, a lot of the kids that go there, they weren't even, that that was not what I heard at all. Every kid that went there was because of their parents.
3: From what I had learned so far, these kids were being sent there by their parents and some sort of authority within their religious community. But one of the last things that we found while scanning through the documents
4: was this. They asked for the family income, the monthly income of both parents, parents' education levels, if the if they're members of the church. Yeah, church member. Okay, and then this
3: gets this is weird. This is weird. Right. Are you aware of any relatives or friends who might object to this placement? List names and addresses of people who maybe object and interfere with this placement. Yeah. So what's he gonna do? Send a letter? Like go
4: to their house? <laughs> like wh- why why would you need their address what are you going to do with this information like to me this i feel like this could be part of a screening process like they're trying to sift through and weed out kids who have too strong of a support system, like kids who you know have powerful people
2: Mm. who might come knocking
4: on your door Mm. and asking questions. Mm -hmm. But if no one lists any names here, you can be pretty confident, like no one's gonna object to what you're doing. No one's gonna get curious.
3: Sherry finishes her reasoning for believing the voluntary commitment was a kind of scam, if not legally, then at least psychologically.
6: That voluntary commitment was a sham because you were locked into that program. Now, the campus wasn't locked, but you were manipulated and controlled so tightly that your fear kept you in prison there because you knew what would happen if you, locked, if you tried to do anything stupid.
3: When I went back upstate to Buffalo, New York, Boy Wonder connected me to a girl that he had met at Freedom Village. Her name is Angel, and she was 16 years old when we did this interview. How, well, first of all, how long were
0: you there? 11 months.
3: You were there for 11 months. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when you went into the program? 13. You were 13 years yeah. old.
0: And I, you're supposed to be 14 to get in, but they said I could, so it was, My mom was, like, really upset at the time. We would get in arguments all the time, and she was
3: like, I want her to get help. We did the interview at Maggie's house, and Angel brought her little sister along with her. Even though I offered them both a chair, they decided to sit together in
4: one. I mean, I think Angel, to me, came off as, like, super emotionally intelligent, and also kind of a protector almost in like a sneaky way, like she doesn't make a big deal about it, but you can tell. And she knew that hearing these stories, like I think she knew that how tough that would be for her family. And she chose to protect them and keep a lot of this stuff to herself.
3: Did your mom find out about Freedom
4: Village?
0: Or I'm not sure. I think she just found it because it was cheap and she needed something affordable for me to go. I know that I was going there. She was like, we're gonna take you somewhere and we think you'll you'll be happy there. And I was like, okay, I'll do it, because you think I'll be happy there, I'll do it. And then she shows up, we drive for, like, two hours to get there, and I show up, and I was really excited. It looked nice, because I showed up in the new admin. They admitted me, and Pastor Brothers, I talked to him. He made me seem like I was, like, a really bad person, and I was like, how do you even know why? He was, like, um, when I was talking to him in his office, what did he say? He said something that, like, really bothered. Oh, they thought that I was going to run away. And then, but
3: you had just gotten there.
0: Yeah. It was your first day. Yeah. Like, it was like my first hour in there. And then, um, he was like, and don't even think about running away because you have nowhere to go. And I was like, okay, okay. I'll keep that in mind. He was like, we're in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, okay,
3: okay. Fear, a tactic that would be used right from the very beginning. I asked Angel if she ever tried to communicate to her family what she was feeling.
0: They wouldn't send out letters. I wrote a letter to Holly one time, and then I was on the phone on the phone with my mom, but another person
3: was monitoring my call, because- They were really on the other end? Like, the person monitoring your-
0: No, like, they were just, they just had to, like, be in the room with you while you're on the phone. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it wasn't a staff member. It was one of the girls because they were on a high level they're allowed to and it was like one of my friends so what we did instead of like her like really like monitoring my phone call we searched all around like the desk and we found so many unsent letters and I found a letter that I sent to my mom all I said I was just telling trying to tell my mom how they make us haul for four hours at night like hour to three hours in the morning, in the afternoon, like we never get a break, and then they never sent that letter out. And I was like, why wouldn't you want them knowing that? Aren't they supposed
3: to know that? It really shook me when I realized that I only grew up around 45 minutes away from the Freedom Village location. That summer, I traveled up Route 14 to see the property for myself. I remember staring out at the grounds from its one and only main road and the sun was setting, immediately drew its warmth and light leaving this chilly, inescapable countryside. The land sat desolate in front of me. Four large buildings and some old houses with a wide parking lot. I couldn't help but imagine boy wonder Hollingwood at that same place for hours or my friend from 1984, who had traveled from the Caribbean to Brooklyn and eventually to here with all these pine trees. I thought about Fox driving around in his Scooby-Doo van and Sherry at home with her children, an angel now with her sister who had only left there two years ago. It all seems so random, so chaotic. How did these people from all over the state and all over the country, as we'll soon find out, end up here. Is it really safe for parents to send kids with problems to an isolated facility so far away from their homes, and as Angel had mentioned, where their communication was censored? They're out of contact with anyone who can actually advocate for them. What makes this place different from a prison? Is the time these kids spend there really well accounted for? On one hand, exposing kids to a peaceful, rural environment with structure could be seen as charitable. On the other hand, these same kids are being pulled away from their families, friends, and communities and lack the support systems to hold Freedom Village accountable. Who can really advocate for them if their experience turns out to be abusive? Who even runs this place anyways? Throughout the course of my research, I found that Freedom Village is not the only place like this out there. Currently, the troubled teen industry is a multi-billion dollar network in America and abroad. What can we learn about Freedom Village from the economic, political, and social trends in this massive industry? And what can we learn about this industry through Freedom Village. On the next episode of We Warn Them, Freedom Village. Did he have a sense of humor? Pastor? Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you If you think fucking calling a girl a slut, calling a girl a slut or mm-hmm. body shaming or <laughs> fucking telling us we're going to hell is funny. I mean, mean,
7: yeah, he he was hilarious.
0: I'm thinking about it now, it's like, why wouldn't they warn me? But why don't you think they warned you? Because if they did, then they would have got their
7: level dropped. My hands were soaked in blood still. I was just sitting there thinking of all the shit that I'm about to get into. Like, I'm looking at each of my fingers and I'd see like an option, 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 option. I was just stuck.
3: This podcast was created by myself with the help of Stefan Sepko, Carlo Soriano, and Maggie Galen. All original music by Kay Porcelain, Gucci Silica, and Eleven. Check out the links below to follow them. If you want to learn more, please go to wewarnthem.org or at wewarnthem on any social media channel. I want to say thank you to the boys I first met in that community garden who first shared their stories with me. And to all the other people I have met and listened to along the way. You sharing your stories is making a change.